Welcome back to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sprelli, and I've got Greg Harden today. Uh, we were talking, uh, you know, interviewing you because you, it seems like you bleed blue and gold. I feel like that's a, uh, a traitor. That's maize and blue. Maize and blue. <laughs> I've never, did, have you ever heard that? Well, yeah, the it's, official colors. Maize is a... Corn. A, a corn. Okay. Gotcha. Understood. Well, I feel like a traitor to, to, to Mel Tucker. I mean, Will was with me when we went out there and uh, interviewed him, and he was coming off of uh, two seasons of uh, Rowdy, Victory. Michigan. Victory. Victory against us is wonderful for a lot of people on occasion. <laughs> I can tell I'm going to enjoy this one. So you came in. I was on the on the phone call. I know you went outside. I went outside, sir, to give you privacy because you were taking care of your business, and I didn't need to be all up in your business. But, but so I went and looked, and your your hands were behind your back, and yes, you were sir. just sort of looking across the street. Were you were you visualizing? Were you meditating? Absolutely, positively, categorically, and for real. Breathing. Yes, sir. Interesting. So I love the fact that you live what you uh, preach and we're going to get into it. I, I mean, stay sane in an insane world uh, could not be more timely given the current affairs within, uh, uh, in, in especially mental health. Yes, sir. But um, for the audience, you were born and raised in Michigan. Yes, sir. Detroit. Yes, sir. Proud of it. But, uh, family background? Uh, Chrysler Motor Company. You did me. three. The big three. Uh, mom and dad came up from Barnesville, Georgia. You know what that's famous for? No. Barnes. Okay, so like. Pow, <laughs> got him. These are, these are like the dad jokes coming out. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, really, though. They were from Georgia, and they moved up uh, in the 40s after World War II mm -hmm. to uh, work in the auto industry. It all worked out. Well, how did, so. How did that job perspective come out? Is you, it was national advertising, hey, move to, to uh, Michigan and get a job? Look, uh, their relatives had already moved up, and they, said, they, they made it clear, you need to come up to Detroit and, and get jobs. And that whole migration uh, for many Amer African Americans took place uh, during that period of time. 40s and the 50s, you could get a job. You could work. And so Pops took on that job and stayed uh, for decades. You know, it wasn't, we, we talked about Andrew uh, Alexander King, mm. um, a phenomenal uh, individual. And, and how did you go about, how, how do you know him or have you heard of him? Or? Yeah, I had heard of him. And then uh, when I was uh, studying you, uh, I saw that you had spoken to the young man. And uh, I was really impressed with that whole interview. Uh, but most importantly, before we go any further, I, I just have to stop and, and, and acknowledge who I'm really talking to. I need us to be real clear about how impressed and how proud I am that you served at the level that you served. And we talk a lot about uh, helping people. I see you building people up. I see you doing so many things, but most importantly, what you did is, uh, from the heart, I, I can't help but talk about how impressed I am and proud of you for taking on the beast that you took on. Sports is one thing, but uh, putting your life on the line every day, 
with your boys and, and, and understanding it ain't about politics. It's about the guy next to you. Well, Greg, I, I, I do appreciate that. Um, and, and you said one key word uh, with my boys. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I've actually reflected a lot of my time. And uh, I, I believe in, in leadership and culture. They're just two passions. I'm, I'm wild days in high performance, human performance. Yes, sir. But, you know, I, I, I don't think I was as good as a leader as I, I thought I was now that I've stepped into the private sector. Because let me tell you, it was easy. M- much like, you know, sports where everyone has, in a way, bled, sweat, mm-hmm. and cried to, to earn that jersey. Yes. My guys, they, they weren't hard to lead. I mean, they 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 had emotional buy-in. Yes, so sir. even if I had a you know, uh, 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 let's say not so good plan for whatever obstacle we faced, the guys would find a way to to reach mission accomplishment. So uh, I do appreciate that. But uh, if you're going to be impressed, be impressed with the, the the men and the women I served with. Yes, sir. Um, you know, we had and you may recognize his name, uh, Renee Mauburn, who wrote uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. She went to the University of Michigan, and I'm trying to think of her co-author's name, who I believe is still uh, Chan. Uh, famous book, but she talked about Detroit and how prosperous the city was up until, was it the 80s? Well, yeah. Uh, the After the 60s, things started getting a little hairy, but all the way through the 70s and the 80s, and then all of a sudden, people started moving out. And and the state had a fantasy, and I, we're not going. I won't go too deep into yeah. this, but the state had a fantasy that there they could be successful on the outskirts. But we know every wheel has a hub, and if you don't value the hub, the spokes gonna fall apart. No kidding. So Detroit, in a in a in a in the sense of government, they stopped investing in Detroit to invest in the, the spokes. Yes, sir. Interesting. Some, some would suggest. Yes. What uh, was was the University of Michigan always a uh, a goal of yours? No, sir. Uh, it was a miracle. Uh, I am a miracle, and I don't look anything like what I've been through. Um, I was uh, uh, pretty much uh, just a good old citizen doing my thing for the joy it bring and. All of a sudden, um, I ended up running track. In fact, I was a nerd. I was a bona fide nerd. I was uh, smart and studious and articulate and all like that. And I cursed and enunciated. (laughs) And then uh, um, I ended up going out for track in in my sophomore year because my best friend needed someone to hang out with him. So he said, come go out for track. Well, I was pretty much a mascot for the track team. And then somehow miraculously my body transformed and all of a sudden I became a superior track athlete and then played football and my personality and everything transformed because ah, in my neighborhood, let's be real clear, uh, if you weren't in a gang or didn't have a big family, you were <clears throat> going to be the person who was targeted. Show, unlike many people who you've met, they never talk about the ass whippings they took. But at 15, I took an ass whipping. And I, from, from, from a guy who decided it was my turn 
And uh, after that, I remember going home saying, the pen is mightier than the sword my ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Sounds good in a Hallmark. <laughs> and so from that point on, I decided I'd never take an ass whipping again. And oddly enough, whatever God you believe in maneuvered me into running track and playing football, and it changed my whole life. Athletics changed my entire life. What, what was it about the ass whipping? Was it the embarrassment? Uh, it was, I never saw it coming because in the real world, it's not like the TV world where you fight for a, a half hour at nonstop. It's whoever cold cocks you from the back. So you got jumped. I got jacked and it was dazed and confused and, and I saw stars for the first time ever. And it was fascinating and I thought I could fight and then, but my equilibrium was yeah. gone. Yeah. And I said, oh my God. And so... The old vestibular system took a hit. And I, I had no clue. And so uh, after that, I realized that I was entirely too nice. And this, and because it's your show and we've got a lot of time, I'm going to tell you the truth. I became a bully. Because of that incident. And I bullied bullies. Oh, no, 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 no. This, this. Come this on, I like. man. I, I, I. And I was I was not big mm -mm. in in high school whatsoever. I, I think you graduated high school at one forty, but I always always just had a a like distaste for bullies. When I saw them messing with other kids, I, I remember it was a kid on a football team. I did a, a full hundred yard dash right into his back and come on him. man and jacked him into the locker. Yeah, oh yeah, and I had I didn't have a lot of strength, but I had impulse strength. For ten seconds, I was strong as ammonia. <laughs> I could jack you. <laughs> so uh, I just uh, took great joy and pride in bullying bullies because Good. you see it happening and you and you, somebody had to check them. And so I was so stupid uh, that while I really couldn't fight as well as I pretended I could, I could outrun you. So yeah. why would I be scared? <laughs> I think I could beat you. And if I can't beat you, you can't catch me. So... If not you, then who? If not now. And so uh, whatever whatever it was, I, I really took advantage of that moment uh, to really evolve. And what happened is that you discover that while without the gang, without the big family, the only pre people they didn't mess with was crazy Damn. people. So I changed quite a bit. It was quite dramatic. And I am a dramatic character, as you can plainly see. So you can imagine I had a great time being myself in the final days of high school. As you should. <laughs> so it's funny you say you were a nerd. So I'm assuming academically you, you, you were doing well. It did extremely well. I, you know, it's the nerds that turn out to be the most successful. Yeah, because they have the combo. And what we're talking about is mental, physical, and spiritual fitness. If you're not mentally tight, see, I used to teach engineers to go work out, and I try to teach athletes to go to the library. So <laughs> that's what I did. I mean, that was my obsession is training people to begin to see a whole person and trying to get people to understand that you have to develop in those three areas uh, to commit to training your, your body. People understood that with relative ease. Yeah. But training the mind and, and how I got mental health be, to become 
something that was a commitment for the institution was started talking about mental fitness and then peak performance and all that just spun out of it. But um, I ended up at the University of Michigan to run track uh, because I had done so well in, in, in track that they invited me and I blew that completely, totally and for real. What, what were your events? <sighs> well, high jump, long jump, high hurdles, low hurdles, and then they conned me into running a quarter mile. <laughs> 400, huh? Yes, and that changes your whole outlook on life. Oh, it does? <laughs> that, you see that in the 800 meter? That, those are just... Which are now sprints. Am I, Mike, am I right or wrong? They, they're sprints now. Yeah. And at one point, they were like, you pace yourself and then close at the end. Bruh. What these young men and women are doing in, in, in track, which is still the purest sport of all, track and swimming, you, you can't, he didn't pass me the ball. No, you, the clock decides you, yeah. either, you either hit it or you didn't. So I, I'm biased, I understand, but they're still the pure sports, man. It seems like we've got to wait four years to, to celebrate track uh, on a national level. I, you know, it was in Colorado. Uh, with a wife, uh, last trip of the year, I owed her. Um, I just watched uh, Race about Jesse Owens. Um, it, it's got his his coaches, uh, the guy who plays Ted Lasso. I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, yeah, that's uh, ahead of his time. It took, I think, 12 years for people to start breaking his uh, yes, sir. his records. But yes, sir. What, what is, it? is it? I mean, it's the whole point that every generation gets stronger, mm-hmm. faster. Yes, yes, yes. But at what point? Does humanity and the physiology of the body tab out, or is is that irrelevant to the mind? Look, we have women who were born uh, as female dunking. (laughs) So everything keeps changing and growing and evolving, and the body continues to just get better and better and better. And it's it's tiny, but it it shows up – in the event, I mean, a second, a tenth of a second changes everything. Two inches changes everything. Man, it's fascinating to watch because we thought we had already peaked, and they just keep getting better and better and better. So it's fascinating to see where it's going to go. And before I leave this planet, I think I'll see some more miracles in, in sports. Oh, assuredly. That's the whole point. Yes, sir. That's the whole point, is that the, the next generation gets uh, gets better than us. So what did, what did you study at Michigan? <sighs> Sociology, psychology, and communication. Those are great majors. Wait, what was your major? What were your minors? Uh, well, it was I had general studies. And anyone that dogs general studies, they obviously don't know how to uh, um, be deliberate and intentional about what they're taking for classes. Uh, I, I I had planned on I planned to be on radio, television, and film. It was simple plan. I mean, personality, style, charisma. You do. You, you've got a voice for uh, for for TV and a face well, for radio. Look, I was I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I know that face for radio joke is is a good one. It's a dad joke. It's a dad joke. My wife is always like that. You can't help yeah. it. But uh, the um, I, I definitely thought I, I, I was going to uh, create stories, tell stories, produce stories, mm. because 
behind the camera is steady income. And in front of the camera, I mean, talent is a dime a dozen. So yeah. I figured the best way to do it is to be able to produce and create shows and write and boom, boom, boom. And I thought that's what I was going to do. But God has a sense of humor. He does indeed. <laughs> he does indeed. I, the storytelling part I love. College is interesting. I, I'm starting to become a little warped mm-hmm. on college. And, and there, there's some great points where people tell you to go pay for this certain major that you get to spend $200,000 on, but yet produces very little to the point where you're paying off those loans for, for years. But my point is I took business administration in, in my, uh, in my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was the worst thing I could have done when I could have taken history, psychology, and, and just, you know, English writing and focused on, on the soft skills of, of human beings and the ability to communicate and articulate whether with a pen or uh, or word. And that takes us to really starting to talk about what is the difference between Tom Brady, Desmond Howard, Michael Phelps, uh, Jalen Rose, uh, Jim Harbaugh, boom, boom, the list goes on. Well, well first off, Jim Harbaugh is freaking crazy. Yeah, uh, but you, y- yes. look, great. The best coach you ever had was nutty as a fruit. Oh, yeah. And and I sat down. (laughs) Funny enough, I had a bunch of SEALs when Jim was uh, the coach of the uh, the Niners. We'd gone out there for a leadership exchange. Yes. You would have loved this. So 20 SEALs, Sergey Brin, Mark Benioff, who's the Salesforce founder, CEO, um, Larry Ellison, Tim, uh, Givernova, gentleman named uh, Bill Campbell, the secret coach of Silicon Valley. Hmm. Oh, you've got to read the book, Trillion Dollar Coach. He was a football coach for Columbia and uh, Boston College, mm-hmm. then broke and went into business, was the director of the board for Apple, uh, CEO of Intuit. But we, we met with all these icons to include Jim Harbaugh. And Jim Harbaugh probably was the most fascinating, citing Shakespeare out of nowhere. We're like, what's up with this dude? <laughs> Nothing can prepare you for uh, how unique his personality is. And uh, it's just fascinating because what we're talking about is – Creating opportunities for people to see whole people. Total person peak performance is really what this is all about. And so that's the title of the next book. Because <laughs> what we're talking about is is imagine trying to tell a, a cat like Tom Brady, who's not Tom Brady at the time. He's a 19-year-old kid who's struggling mightily to just, just get in the lineup. Imagine telling him that uh, as he walks into your office and he says, you know, I, I just want to start at Michigan. You have to be straight and you have to be authentic and you have to be real with people. And the first thing out of my mouth, I can't help you with that. <laughs> You'll come in here. Don't, don't have a fantasy that if you come see me, I can get you a starting position. What I can get you to do is believe if no one else believes in your ass more than anybody, that you're capable and you're qualified. Let's start there. That's what we do. So, but imagine also trying to convince him of another thing. You've got to decide with or without football. Your life is going to be amazing. A 19-year-old. <laughs> and, he, and he looks, and I told many people that before. And, I, and then I'll say, of course, what do I mean by that, Tom? Tom Brady breaks it down. <laughs> He said, you're saying I'm more than a football player. 
I say, yes, go on. And he begins to articulate that what I'm already trying, I think it takes me weeks to get everybody else to figure out. He says, you're telling me that my, how I see myself has to be more than a football player. I say, absolutely. I say, that's what we'll work on. I can't help you with anything else. But what I can help you with is beginning to understand that your life and how your self-worth and your self-esteem must not be based on performance. How you see you, how you feel about yourself has to transcend. I don't care. You come in here and you tell me the coaches don't like, I don't give a damn if the coaches don't like you. <laughs> how do you feel about you? <laughs> Self-love and self-acceptance is the secret that ain't a secret. So you've got to, you, you just said something that was interesting. You've got to look beyond performance. If you don't, you'll be dazed and confused because your performance is going to fluctuate. But how I feel about me must never fluctuate. And that makes sense right there. Right. Bad times? Good they times, bad times. How, Good times. Because you got to recover. You, yeah. You're going to have bad times. You're going to have trials and tribulations <laughs> in your life. How fat, but let's talk about fitness. You ready? Love it. I know you're ready. If I say you've got physical fitness and I say, well, what are the ingredients of physical fitness? And you'll come up with these magnificent phrases and and endurance and stamina and strength and flexibility and cardiovascular, boom, boom, boom. And then I'll say, okay, what is mental fitness? The public is... And then I take you back to physical fitness. See, what's missing in people's definition of physical fitness is recovery time. You know more about that than the average bear. <laughs> How fast you recover tells me if you're in shape. Am I right or wrong? No, no, you're absolutely right. So now, if, I, if we segue instantly to mental fitness, you, you, I've already given you the answer. Resiliency. Come on, how fast you recover from bad times. We all going to have bad times. But our goal is to get to a point in life where you know, even if I get knocked down, I'm going to try to fall on my back because I'm getting up. I know I'm getting up. <laughs> you understand? So the, phys- the, the mental fitness piece takes us all the way to not just endurance and stamina and resilience, but how fast I recover. Because you have to do that in everything we're talking about. Would it be safe to say in your decades in this uh, this profession, this arena, that the weakest muscle in the body is the mind? Bruh, and it can be the strongest. It has to It be. has the potential. And, but because you can develop it. You can train it. You can practice, train, and rehearse mental fitness. And that's what we try to convey. In this whole book, all we're talking about is teaching people how to train themselves to be resilient, how fast, how they can recover, how they can stand up and believe in themselves in, in, in spite of, uh, uh, of what's being measured. Because we have to get them to the point where we're teaching people to become the world's greatest experts on themselves. Everybody wants to be an expert on so much. All I want, all I want to do, my whole mission it's to teach you to know yourself better than anybody else. In a world that's trying to distract you oh, with nothing but noise. Constantly distracting you. 
You know, I, when I talk to companies, I say, you know, when, when, when was the last time you did a personal diagnostics? Like, I go, like, like a car. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Because you're not the same person you were last month. You say you do a SWOT analysis? Uh, 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 just, yes. Basically, a SWOT analysis. What are my strengths, my weaknesses, my opportunities, my threats? Yeah. That's what I teach. It, I don't know what chapter it is. How, how do you teach them? Look, because I... Like, I where, 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 where do I start? So if, if I got a whiteboard, I'm with my wife. Let's be real quick. Or is this an individual thing? This is what people get confused about. They think that I'm taking athletics to corporate. No, I took corporate to athletics, knuckleheads. Before I was working in athletics, I was working with companies and training people to deal with the troubled employee. So I transferred the technology of helping managers and supervisors manage, use the resources, HR, EAP, employee assistance programs, How to take full advantage of it. I don't need my manager and supervisor to be an expert on alcohol and drugs or on depression and anxiety or uh, how to help somebody in the middle of suicidal ideation. I need my managers and supervisors to be the best managers and supervisors they can be and to tell people what they need to do in order to be successful in their company. And if they say uh, that they're having trouble at home or they say they're depressed, I teach them to say, I can't help you with that. I still need you to look at what I'm asking you to do, but we have resources. So what am I going to teach a coach? I don't need the coach to be an expert on mental health. I don't need the coach to be an expert on alcohol and drug use, misuse, and abuse. I need the coach to be able to have access to a formula where a young person can go somewhere and talk to somebody about any bloody thing. And that's what we—that's what I created years ago. But I took uh, uh, corporate into athletics, mm-hmm. it's, and people think that you know, well, this is the athletic guy. No, I trained over hundreds of managers and supervisors in some pretty big companies before I even touched athletics. I did personal development um, in the. In, in the medical school in the College of Engineering and then transferred all that to athletics. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> is it, 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 this is, my, again, I'm asking a question which is really stating my belief. One, um, and I didn't understand this. There's a lot of things I did in the military because I worked for good leaders and I just sort of emulated what they did yes. without fully understanding why they did things the way they did them. Yes, sir. And one of the things that I've come to realize is you put a cap on your potential as a leader if you don't have a PhD in yourself first. There's also a phrase of, you know, leaders eat last. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, sometimes you have to take better care of yourself in order to take better care of other people. And it, I've, I've come to this realization way too late. So whenever, you know, Will and Michelle and, and Carly are around the office, I always eat first now. <laughs> <laughs> But all this spun off of us talking about SWOT analysis. So I'm in corporate, and like you were in, in, the, in the business school. You learned about SWOT analysis and examining whether the company, what are the strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats to our success story. I couldn't help but say, well, why don't you do a SWOT analysis on yourself? I introduced SWOT analysis into counseling at an early stage in my career and asked somebody, you know, let me, here's a quadrant, here's, boom, 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 fill in these spots. To take it to the next level, Mike, you ready for this? 
Send it. I said, I want you to identify two to three people who you who love you, who you trust. And I want you to have them do a SWOT analysis. And we're going to look, we're going to, first we're going to review what you say. People that love you will be brutally candid. Oh, come on. <laughs> or they, then it's and, not love. And not people who are going to abuse the, yeah. the opportunity. But, uh, and in this, in, in this, in the book, I've got an example of a kid who was so, and this is a grown man. This ain't a kid. This is a grown man who's looking for help. And I say, you need to have somebody that cares about you. He went to the boss that had fired him and the girlfriend who had fired him and asked him to do a spot analysis. That was a bad man. That was, that was a bad man. How can you not be impressed with somebody who had the nerve to say, well, this would be good. And it came back and it was brilliant. And we looked at what he wrote and what they wrote to see if there's congruencies where it matched up. And he learned so much about himself. So SWOT analysis is something that you understand better than most. And in in our book, we talk about SWOT analysis and making sure that people have that as one possible tool. Because what we're teaching is critical self-assessment. Like you implied earlier. You've got to know yourself, and the only way to know yourself is to be reflective. I think this is one of the words oh, you reflection. use. reflection. Yeah, self-reflection. Come on, man. And if you are not <clears throat> to have an advantage over your competition, know yourself better than anybody. Know your, Not be afraid of your weaknesses. Identify the things that are not working in your life and the things that are working in your life, the things that the opportunities that you have not taken advantage of. And the threats, internal and external, internal and external threats to your success have to be examined. Define internal and external for me. Come on, man. So, like, the internally, we're talking about the ways I think. <clears throat> externally, we're talking about the ways I act. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, we're talking about the people that are surrounding you, mm-hmm. the things that you are doing who you're engaged with. We're talking about healthy versus unhealthy relationships when we're talking about external. When we're talking internal, how do I uh, um, how do I how do I process? How do I think? How do I talk self-talk? How do I talk to myself? We all talk to ourselves. So negative self-talk is the enemy of the people. <laughs> right? And you've got to be able to understand that the greatest enemy in your life is fear and self-doubt. There is no greater enemy <laughs> than the enemy within. And if the enemy within can't harm you, <laughs> nothing can. First off, <clears throat> my wife catches me all the time. She's like, you're talking to yourself again. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I am talking to myself. Um, but that, that, that fight... Against fear and self-doubt. Yes. Uh, that is that, that is a continual battle. That's not a one and done. I've defeated it. We're moving on. No. And, and the reason I bring that up is it seems like this is this is personally for me that fear and self-doubt have increased as I've stepped into a do, new domain. Was very good at what I did in the military. Now I'm in the business world and I'm constantly facing the, the fear of, am I going to fail? Fear of failure is the enemy as well. If you're afraid to fail, you're afraid to succeed. It, it, see, see, let's let's take this. But off. That, that is to be that is divine. It's 
to be human. Come is on. To Ooh. <laughs> Come on, Mike. You know you just nailed it because think about what we're about to say. You have, I mean, think about, let's talk Navy SEALs. I got to have the nerve, the audacity. I've watched a few talk, movies. Let's do this. Talk, <laughs> no, I'm talking, I've been to Coronado. Thank you. And, and uh, took a team uh, to, come on. Get son. out of here. Come on, man. And so the greatest athletes I've ever seen <laughs> with peak performance is what you teach. Look. Mindfulness, which is popular, is what you well. The first thing you learn was to breathe. The first thing you learn was to hold it and then process it differently. To ground yourself and settle yourself and be aware of who you are and what you're thinking and what you're doing and how you're feeling and boom, 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 boom. When we talk about what you've learned, is you had to learn that fear to stop being afraid of being afraid. See, people tell you, oh, well, there's nothing to fear. Fearless people are either drunk or stupid. <laughs> yeah, am, I, am I right or wrong? And so when they're training you, son, to do what they're asking you to do, if you're the guy that's not afraid, watch him. <laughs> but the guy that knows that courage is not the absence of fear. It's the presence of it's, it. It's facing fear. Yeah. Cur courage doesn't exist without the word fear. No. How am I doing, Mike? Hey, if, if you'd be a total narcissistic, narcissistic sociopath if there was no fear whatsoever. Come on, man. So what we're trying to teach people is simple formulas. Stop being afraid of being afraid. Fear is part of being human. Some of the greatest moments in your life. You're about to crap your pants before you do. <laughs> am I right or wrong? Some of the moments that you will remember to, to your dying day, those were moments where whew, mm. had to shake it off and go. Mm. I'm just interested. Did you walk away from Coronado and you're like, oh, God, we are, we're, we're screwed if these guys are defending our, our right. nation. <laughs> I've never seen guys that are more in their own head. Um, <clears throat> it, it, you know, as you're saying that, because uh, we're, we're big Dune, the movie, Frank, uh, Frank Herbert, the movie Dune. Yeah. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the mind killer. The little death that cre creeps within. <laughs> Come on, man. One of the greatest lines of all time. You see, well, you, see, you especially uh, see this with athletes, but within my profession, you saw it as well. When things start to cascade, mm -hmm. you see people go into, in baseball, we call it a what? Uh, a slump. Is that is that right? Uh, or, or, you know, uh, with Tom Brady has a, has a few bad games, and it seems like he starts to spiral. Mm -hmm. Is it high performers get in their own minds and continue to make that worse, or is, or is that just life? That's life. And and again, we're talking about recovery time, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Think about it. I mean, the beauty of baseball. It, you talk about a great metaphor. So, it like, is. if I hit three out of out of ten, I'm a I'm a god. Don't let me hit four. <laughs> right? So that means I fail 70 to 60% of the time. And you talk about cats you have to train. I mean, think about it. The pressure on them is at a whole nother level. And so it's fascinating to watch that, that, that sport because, I mean, you, you learn so much about life. 
I mean, when I was working in alcohol and drugs, if I was getting ten percent, I was a bad man. Mm. <laughs> if I could get, if I could get one out of ten people to change their lifestyle, if I could get ten out of a hundred to really change in in, in the fight, the the good fight, and to to transform themselves, I was doing good. And so, my whole mission is like just changing lives and on occasion saving a life. I know I've done it once or twice, but if we could just save one life or change one life, it, it makes a huge difference. And so this whole book is, is, is I'm in the fourth quarter. Okay, you like hockey? I'm in the third <laughs> period. I mean, what do you need? I'm on the 17th, 18th. Hockey? Oh, uh, hockey? This is America. <laughs> well, hey, well, hey, you're, you're right next to the border. I get it. Come on, um, this is Texas. It's Texas. We don't play hockey in Texas. Dallas Stars. Stars. Yes. And they're good. You understand? So, yeah. Now you got Vegas winning championships. Vegas crushed them. Who the, what is it? One of the greatest uh, uh, hockey, American-born hockey players is from Arizona. Yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> now you've got kids from, uh, from California on the, on the Syracuse lacrosse team. It's, yeah. Austin Matthews is in, in Toronto Maple Leafs. From Arizona. <laughs> so the world shrinks, bruh. The world is shrinking rapidly. And change is happening rapidly. And so you've Which got makes to, mental health. You've got to make people get comfortable in the skin they're in. You've got to teach people. The, the greatest lesson, the greatest lesson I learned was letting go of yesterday's baggage mm. and being able to reframe and reinterpret how I was socialized, programmed, raised, etc. My father was an amazing man. And the worst thing he ever taught me was, I remember being eight, nine years old, going out to the yard. Will, you'll understand what I'm saying. And I went out the yard and she pops, can I help? Huh? Can I help dad? My father looked at me and said, boy, let me tell you something. If you see me in a bear fight, <laughs> if you see me in a bear fight, don't help me. Help the bear. I said, damn. <laughs> bro. That's confidence. That's oh, bro. But it programmed me to what? Be confident. Never ask for help. Bruh, that's the killer. And suffer in silence. You know what I'm talking about. Suffer in you silence. You know how you were trained. You know how mm -hmm. you were programmed. You know how your how the people, the men in your life, and the role models we had made it real clear. We need no help. I got it, Bruh, I had to change that. It was not easy. I'm a professional helper, and I don't want to ask for no help. <laughs> I'm telling people how important it is to ask for help, and I'm struggling mightily to ask for help. Come on, man. To change the way that we think, the way that we interpret our lives and how we see ourselves, that's not an easy assignment. But it's what we must do. We must be able to transform ourselves, to reframe some of the lessons we learn. I mean, we got people running around, you know, with uh, don't like themselves, don't like the way they look. 
they don't like the way they look because of what an eight-year-old said. <laughs> you got a big nose. I mean, mm. Yes, I do. Come on, man. Sniff you out you'll for miles. Be eight, you'll be eight. You'll be thinking about something in the back of your mind to be nonsense that took place when you were 12, 13, 14 years old. And, it, and it's affecting your relationships. No. So teaching people how to do self-assessment, to be critically conscious, and not be critiques. We, we know how critical we are. But we're talking about being critically conscious and being able to do critical self-assessment. That's where we keep going back to. Your ability to read yourself, your ability to see what's working, what's not working, your ability to identify self-defeating mm-hmm. attitudes and behaviors. And to neutralize, neutralize them by having self-supporting attitudes and behaviors that will help you transcend and go to the next level. The go to the next level of peak performance I got to be the world's greatest expert on one subject. <laughs> the mind. You know, you mentioned the whole person concept, which I'm assuming goes back to Greek philosophy, you know, a fit mind and a fit body. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I always see human beings as a bullseye where, where, where the bullseye is made up just all these attributes. The ones that are closer to the bullseye were very strong and the other attributes are, are towards the fringes of the, uh, the circle. Um, you talked about, and this is for me personally, you've got to be able to put down your baggage. And that is one that I continually struggle with. I do believe, and I will call somebody on their, their BS when they're like, I don't have any regrets. I'm like, BS bullshit. We all have regrets and I've got regrets. And sometimes some of them based on the severity, I can't put them down Mm -hmm. in those type of cases with high performers, regardless of profession, how do you, how do you sort of assist them with that? That's a, that's a legit and, and, and a very, uh, your authenticity is, comes across all the time. And, and you're opening yourself up to be real clear. And what we have to talk about is helping people understand, that, that, let's say, for example, uh, for one of the secrets, secrets to mental health is forgiving parents for not being perfect. <laughs> That's a tall order. If you knew how they, and if you knew what, and, 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 but it's not for their sake. It's for your sake. Yeah. So you teach people to understand some of the stuff you got to let go of. I mean, well, I'll, I'll, I might, I'll never forget. I didn't ask you to forget. <laughs> I'll never forgive them. Eh, you might want to consider forgiving them because every time you look in the mirror, there they are. <laughs> so, some of our self Identity is connected to boom, boom, boom. But let's talk about someone other than mommy and daddy mm-hmm. who hurt us, misused us, abused us in any way, fashion, or form. How do I let go of that baggage? We're letting go of the baggage, not what happened. The memory. Yeah. You understand? What happened was real. And it, I can either go through it or grow through it. So we teach people to train themselves to grow from all adversity. To grow from every failure, every every chaotic moment in our lives, I have to revisit some of my old tapes and old videos, and 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 how I felt at that time. And all and when you can get to the point where you can think about it and talk about it and not relapse into the emotions, then you know you've ma- you're making progress. Because yes, you have to, you've got to choose you. 
You've got to choose you. That's how you let go of yesterday's baggage. When you say you've got to choose you. Yes. And will, you probably it just, it sounds selfish. Yes. And it does. Been, you've been programmed not to be selfish. And so, but there's such a thing as positive selfishness. Come on, man. Because we're talking about going to a space where self-love and self-acceptance. That sounds like selfishness. Mm -hmm. It sounds like narcissistic BS. And, and let's be honest, I'm sure some people take this to the extreme. Where, and, yeah. and, and, that's, and we're not talking to them. Mm -hmm. We're talking to people who are trying to liberate themselves from the yoke of oppression and, and, and depression and despair. Because some of it is manageable. Some of it is not biochemical imbalance. Some of it is patterns and habits and the ways that we think, right? So we have to get to the point where some of, some of the people you know, it may be you, it may be you, are great at loving others, but do a piss-poor job mm. of loving yourself. Mm. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? You know I'm not, you know I'm not lying. Because, bro, that's what, how we've been programmed and trained. You can go to Judeo-Christian. You can go to mommy and daddy. You can go to Aunt Fufu and all of them who told you, don't do this, don't do that, don't, don't be, be. The greatest athletes I've worked with were humble and hungry. Not just hungry. Humble and hungry. What's the difference between Tom Brady, Desmond Howard, Charles Wilson? Humble and hungry. Humble enough to be coachable. Coachable. And what we're talking now is asking for help and being coached out of some of the baggage you can't let go of. Some of the baggage I can't let go of by myself. So you think one of the, the, the top attributes or, or let's say high in existence amongst high performers in, in the athletic realm is there is they're high in humility. <laughs> For me, yes. and that's my bias. I own it. I claim it. But for the people I've worked with, I mean, imagine this. Desmond Howard, one of my favorite people of all time. Heisman Trophy, MVP of the Super Bowl. How are you going to be MVP of the Super Bowl on special teams? <laughs> he on the suicide squad. <laughs> Catch it and go. This how, how, many, how many runners? Do do a search. How many runbacks did he have? Uh, either punts or uh, kickoffs in his senior year. All I'm saying, man, uh, is that this kid studied me for a year and a half before he even talked to me. How did he study you? By what? Because I'm doing presentations mm -hmm. and weapon. I'm doing seminars and, and 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 talking about all the things that the coaches allowed me to talk to the to the uh, the team about. And he's watching me. And so he, he pulls me aside after a, a, a summer camp. He says, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. He said, is it confidential? I said, if you ain't talking about hurting yourself or killing one of these coaches, it's confidential. It's all good out. But if, you, if you're talking about, mm, I spill my guts, right? He says, ah, oh, that's funny. But I need to talk to you because I'm thinking about leaving. I said, oh, okay. So... I said, bro, give it to me. Desmond Howard is totally unhappy because he was a running back. Desmond Howard was a running back. 
His nickname was Magic because his basketball skills were stupid with his five foot eleven ten butt, right? But he's just not happy. They're not using me. I came here to be effective. Boom, boom, boom. I said, "Wow, yes, uh, that's interesting." But it's July going into August, and leaving now may not be in your best interest. <laughs> yeah, and. In addition to that, the people who are recruiting you, kissing your butt and loving you to death, and when you get there, there's going to be the same cats with different colors <laughs> telling you to get in line and shut up. I say so, but hey, I tell you what, let me do some homework. Let me research what's going on. I go and talk to mm-hmm. some folk and come back and say, Desmond, I got some bad news for you. What's that? I say. They think you think this is all about you and not about Michigan. They think that you have no interest in anything except what you want. And back in the day, if you did not block, you couldn't get on the field. (laughs) Your wide receivers had to be able to knock you out. So I said, I tell you what, Des. Right now, I, I, I know that you say that you're really good. I have no evidence to support that. <laughs> so, and he's how old at this point? He's like 18, 19 years old. I say, so, like, you may really be that guy in high school, but you haven't done anything to demonstrate that here. So leaving at this time is not in your best interest. And if you want to leave later, I get it. But until you prove yourself to yourself until you get on the field until you can demonstrate that you're as good as you say you are no one cares if you leave so it's your decision (laughs) god bless you so what do you think i should do i said dad i mean i don't want to blow smoke up your butt but i do have an idea and he says what's that i said you should actually Decide to be the best athlete on the team. You must decide to buy into the formula and the process. You need to piss off the defensive coordinator once a week. What do you mean? You should knock a son bitch out <laughs> on defense at least once a week and prove that you can actually block if you want to get in the game. If you can't block, you're not playing at Michigan. Period. He says, sure. I say, but I'll be glad to work with you. Boom, boom, boom. I say, so, and take it all the way around. Watch this, Will. Take it all the way around. Show, why did you even talk to me? He says, I've been watching you. I say, all right, go on. He says, I'll see you talking. And, like, I, I was fascinated with how you, what you do. I said, go on. He says, you'll be in front of us, and at, at one point you'll look like, you are a professor, and you've got the data and the statistics and the formulas, boom, boom, boom. And then two minutes later, you sound like you're a preacher and you know, inspiring and passionate. And then you turn into Richard Pryor. <laughs> and, and I said, er? I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 19. I said, I said you looked, he said, yes, sir. He said, the question is, sir, is that on purpose? 
What? Stupid. Did you just? What's your name again? <laughs> Bro, how could you not fall in love with a 19-year-old who's not just looking and st- he's studying you? He says, I want to do what you do. I want to be able to affect it. And you convince everybody in that room that you're talking to them. I said, right. I said yeah. I said, well, let me help you out. People learn differently. Mm. There's about six audience members Six types of learners in the room. I'm hitting three of them. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah some, some cats in the room, I got to be entertaining and engaging and make them laugh and then slip the truth in. Some want to know that you know what you're talking about based on the studies and the research. Some want you to have fire in your bones. And if you don't have that, they're not listening to you. So I'm trying to hit at least in, that, in a room of 140 people, I'm trying to get at least three groups to buy into what I'm mm. saying. He said, I'm fascinated <laughs> and I'm going to master that skill. You see what he's doing now? Mm. Bruh, this is his humility. He was, his parents set him up to be a, someone that would look for a mentor, look for a mentor, get somebody to coach you, get somebody to talk to and choose mentors, which is another lesson that we need to teach. Don't, uh, and they don't even have to know their mentors. But he studied me before he would even talk to me. How do you not love Desmond Howard? <laughs> yeah, for, for an 18, 19-year-old, Come on, that, that's pretty astute. I've seen the, the best leaders I've worked for were always switching their communication style for the way that people communicated so that, in one, simply said it, so that they receive more then they miss. And so they had the ability to, I use, you remember uh, Spicoli, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the surfer, like, yeah. So, because we had those, that element in the SEAL teams. And so they, they talk in that sort of manner. And then for the more strict and very serious guys, it would did, did tighten up. And Come on. it was, it was, it was watching mastery uh, at work. Um, you know, you're, you're what, 52, 53? <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> you, you've seen this. It's almost like we are changing the perception and definitions on words like vulnerability. Yes, sir. On masculinity. Yes. On, uh, as one great leader, who's a founder of Delta Force, said, emotional intimacy amongst athletes, teammates, right. operators. But vulnerability, if you had to put it into a category, was was one of weakness. Let's, I'd say even less than one decade ago. Less than one decade ago, yes. Humility wasn't at the top of, of, of anyone's uh, discussion. In fact, unless the, the, you're a devout Christian. Oh, yeah. Uh, even pride, which is viewed as one of the cardinal sins. I, I, I've now, I think pride is actually a positive force. Look, I think there's a difference. The, the spectrum I use is pride and ego. But this, this vulnerability, you know, it, when we came into the military and you'd be in the push up position for like, you know, 10 minutes straight and then guys start to, you know, make the little, yeah. uh, the, the cries of pain and the drill instructor, or one of the instructors for assessment and selection would come along and say, suffer in silence, shut your mouth, suffer in silence. And it created these, uh, these scars. Do you see this redefining and this re, you know, changing the perspective on, on, on these concepts as supporting peak performance? Look, 
you and you have to lead people with care, compassion, and concern. Mm. If you and if you don't, if you don't show any vulnerability, if you aren't transparent, if you aren't uh, open, if you aren't somebody that can 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 show me that you're a human being, why would I follow you? I mean, because building people up. Now, now let, let, let's be fair. If we're talking about training somebody to go in and put his life on the line, we've got to set him up a certain way. But in order to save his ass when it's over, we better teach him some other stuff, including how to ask for help and allowing himself to be vulnerable and being able to trust his instincts when it comes to allowing people inside. Because what we do is create a force field. And put a force. The only way you can stay. How are you going to stay sane in the Navy SEALs if you ain't got a force field around your ass? I'm sorry. I get excited. <laughs> it's, it's acceptable here. We, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So you, I, you've got to teach people how to have balance. Mm. And balance is yin and yang, baby. Balance is understanding chaos and order. Balance is being able to understand that there are times when I need to, like, let go of yesterday's baggage and I need to be real clear of what I learned from it. And so being vulnerable gives me a, 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 a way of, of, of you, you, you have to learn to use the words differently. Vulnerable, yes, has negative connotations. Ego has negative connotations. Your ego better be your ally and not your enemy because if your ego is tripping... <laughs> you're in trouble. So, yes, as we redefine manhood, as, as we redefine what does it mean to be a coherent thinking thing, <laughs> I have to see myself as a whole person, not just a limited version of what a man is. Because yeah, especially if you want to be a leader. Now, if all you want to do is lead yourself and, and you go around in a circle, that's one thing. But if you're talking about reaching this generation and this population, you've got to change some things. Because what worked for me and you, mm -hmm. what worked for him was, I mean, ooh. And what I got mean, you here he, is not going to get he, you there. There's a snot nose yeah. over here. You understand? Yeah. <laughs> so he needs something different from what you needed. You need something different from what I needed. And so it continues to evolve. And so you've got people who are, look, this is a true story. I got a report that uh, somebody was looking for a job in our department and interviewed and they didn't get the job. Their mama called <laughs> and wanted to be informed as to why their child didn't get the job. Now, we're not talking about why isn't my child starting. We're talking about a job interview. <laughs> you understand? This is a different generation, different kids and different parents. Everything changes. And if you aren't vulnerable, you can't, your ability to listen is influenced. I mean, listening, you've got one mouth and. Got to give you two ears. For a reason. Mm-hmm. Show, but if I am not willing to show vulnerability, Ward Manuel, the athletic director at the University of Michigan, was the best athlete in the, in the, in the known universe coming out of high school. 
Uh, we didn't even talk about – you weren't allowed to about, talk about the NFL till Ward showed up and you say, that boy going to play on Sunday. Who gets to be a lineman in freshman year and get on the field? <laughs> Back in the day, in the 80s. He's on the field. His sophomore year, he's starting. <laughs> he's that guy. And then God said, mm, but what else can you do? Because his shoulder was gone. But before all that, Ward's from New Orleans. And Ward had perfected drinking and fighting. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> and so he was in my office on a regular basis because he had no choice. Ward Manuel looked at me one day. Ward Manuel, Desmond Howard, and Tom Brady pretty much changed the way I approach people. But Ward Manuel was the first who looked at me one day and said, I got to come see you. I told you who I am and told you all about my family. But I don't know you. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I'm going to come because I have to, but I ain't saying nothing else to you till you tell me who you are. Hmm. Well, son, that's not what you're here for. This is a uh, clinical right. setting. And I've been trained to, I'm not here to be your friend. <laughs> I don't care how you was trained. <laughs> I don't need a shrink. I need a friend. I need an ally. I need a mentor. I need somebody I can talk to about who I am and what I'm going through. And like, you, you, But I, if I don't know you, how can I trust you? Why should I trust you? Mike, I'm like Jack. For two weeks, I can't, I mean, I, I have to process it. He's, I'm, man, he's making sense. No, he's not. No, I'm a, I'm a clinical therapist. I, but I was in a hospital as a clinical therapist. Now I'm in a college setting. Hell, everybody looks like they're alcoholic. And, <laughs> and while they may be alcoholics in training, they're not all alcoholics. Uh, so I got to rethink how am I going to approach this. Ward Manuel insisted. That if I wanted him to talk to me, I needed to talk to him about who I was and my story. So I had to risk vulnerability and take a huge leap of faith into this is a different setting. This is a different population. I've got to adapt and adjust based on, in fact, he makes sense. Okay, here's the rules, young man. I'll be, I'll be a little more transparent and give you a clue about my story and who I am. But if you cross this line, I'm going to jack you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, he, he wanted the tough love, but he wanted it from somebody who he could tell, I don't care how much you know until I know how, how much, much you care. care. Vulnerability. And he was asking you to... Lead by example. Be a human being. Do as I say, do as I do. Come on. Yeah. You want me to trust you and tell you who I am, but you don't want me to know who you are? That doesn't make sense to me. This is an 18-year-old kid who now is the leader of the free world. No, but now. Yeah. <laughs> Spoken like a true. Uh, I mean, he, 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 he transformed himself. Man, Talk about depression and despair. 
when he because he, he come on this boy he ran track he played baseball he 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 he, he shot put it he threw javelins and disc and he was a football superstar and now he's and we thought he was dumb as a box of rocks he was brilliant but we didn't know <laughs> till he got hurt and he transformed himself and turned, turned himself into an amazing leader of men. And so while he didn't make it to the NFL, he rich. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing he's, pretty he's, darn He's probably good. found a lot more joy in what he's doing. I've always found a lot more joy in teaching than doing. Which teaching is doing. Yeah, it, it is. is. It's impacting. But you're a different kind of cat. I mean, you, I mean you're talking about... Redefining manhood and and people fantasize that you know all we're gonna do is talk about being a tough guy, mm. Bruh, Your range is crazy. <laughs> you you know part of it too is uh, the most lethal warriors I knew, and I've said this so many times on the podcast. People were, were kind, empathetic, and, and respectful. And the guys who tried to play the part of a seal yes. that were that were cast as a seal that earned the way to, to being a seal that I found when times were toughest, you couldn't get them to move from behind the safety of a wall when rounds were firing. And um, some guys that were not the best performers in training all of a sudden rose to the occasion on the battlefield. That five foot nine cat who nobody thought would even make it. Because what what we don't assess in training necessarily is how, you know, how accurate is he with his weapon? How fast is he with his weapon? But we're not necessarily measuring attributes. Oh, oh, he was high in, in moral and physical courage. Oh, he was high in, 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 uh, in love. He was high in, in resiliency. Um, and you were, I was amazed how wrong I was by judging the covers mm. of books and then I'd watch the guy run into the street, say one, and I'm like, okay, I was wildly wrong there. Man, my stock just went up with you. Maybe is it cover, cover, cover? But chapter twenty-seven, the title is "By Its Cover," <laughs> so you know where we're gonna yeah. go. I mean, you can't judge people. And I had a, but it's human nature it, it, to, it, to, it's to prejudge. Malcolm Gladwell. Prejudice is, is a simple concept. Prejudge. It ain't that deep. All of us do it. And mm -hmm. you have to fight and resist mm -hmm. the temptation to get stuck into your own prejudgments. But, so in the Marine Corps, we had a great uh, line, an ounce of appearance is worth a pound of performance. So that that is the... Malcolm Gladwell called it uh, rapid cognition, I believe. Is that you make a, a, a quick judgment on people by how they carry themselves, how they dress, how they look mm -hmm. within milliseconds. Look, but since you brought up that guy, I love outliers. I love outliers. I mean, I'm definitely putting myself in the role of an outlier. I'm not going to be like any other... I'm a bloody social worker. <laughs> and so people, of course, say, why would you go into social work? Because my mentor was a social worker, uh, Dr. Howard Brapson. And Dr. Brapson was recruiting me. 
I'm coming to social work. Uh, no social work. You want to be the social police and ride up on people and ask them, do you got a man in your house? You know, <laughs> your welfare check. He said, fool, you don't know what a social worker is. So I'm, of course, describing social services mm -hmm. in the state mm -hmm. of Lottie, Texas and Michigan. Boom, boom, boom. He says, look, yeah, but I told you, I don't make no money. He says, this is how much I make. I said, but you're different. And he says, and you're not. Mm. He says, you can design the programs. You can be the one that implements and creates vehicles by which you can save people's lives, change people's lives. You can be a change agent. I mean, like James Bond. He said, no, fool. <laughs> but you can be an agent of change. And transform communities and people's lives. I said, whoa, that's deep. That is. Man. So I so ended up going into social work. And it turned out to be a great move. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Impact is the greatest currency in life. I've said it. And I'll say it till the day I die. Um, you take impact to the grave. Mm -hmm. You don't take money. Um, you know, you talk about Phelps. Desmond Howard, Tom Brady, and they're, they're living examples of the work that you engaged with them. And I'm sure they put, you, you forced them to put the work in towards what you were, you were discussing. Is this, do you feel that, you know, sort of this human performance aspect, your approach is one of the most neglected area? For, for athletes or performers in any industry where yeah, it could until, just unlock until maybe that next. Until, as you indicated, until yeah. recently, the mental health campaigns. Do you understand Michael Phelps? What, what am I going to teach Michael Phelps? Michael Phelps is already an Olympic gold medalist, and he happens to be at the University of Michigan with the coach we hired, Bob Bowman, one of the greatest coaches I've ever worked with, coachable coach. Is that mm. an oxymoron? Mm. You know? <laughs> So he shows up as his sidekick, his guy, his Olympian, who's like a ass volunteer assistant coach at Michigan. But I'm the sport administrator for swimming and diving. So I, I get to know Michael and Bob Bowman. And Bob Bowman, who is allowing me to coach him on how to work with this population, says, do you think you could talk to because they're going through some stuff, chapter six. <laughs> you understand? They're going through a few changes because his adolescent quest for autonomy is starting to show up. And he's been a soldier and committed since he was 12, nonstop in a pool, head down, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for years. Now he's turning 17, 18, 19 years old and has never rebelled. So he's bugging out. <laughs> he's turning into a humanoid. I'm not just a swimmer. I'm a human being. And trying to get the approval of Pete and Gladys and everybody else. So what you discover is that I'm teaching Michael Phelps. So what if you could be even better? <laughs> he looked at me like I'm crazy. I say, we really don't know how good you really are. But I'm eating everyone else. Yeah, but you have, in the last few years, you've decommitted to give 
100% of the time. Now they're begging you to come to the pool and now they're begging you to do training. And so, like, and so, yes, you're beating them, but you could be killing them. You could be crushing them. And you probably will continue to be amazing, but I think we're stuck with you thinking that you're a swimmer. What if you were rich and famous? What would you do with that? I said, what kind of man are you? <laughs> what kind of person are you? Who are you, who are you planning on? You can't, this is actually going to end at some point. So how are you going to use power and influence? Have you thought about that? <laughs> and I say, no one's talking to you like this either. I say, nope. I say, I don't care that you've got all these goals. And the beauty of being here, Michael, is no one gives a rat's ass that you're an Olympian because we're surrounded by stars. Mm -hmm. So come on, sit down. Let's talk about what kind of person do you want to be? What does success look like, feel like, smell like, taste like to you? Come on, bruh. What do you do other than just swim to turn yourself into an amazing human being? And how will you use this as a vehicle instead of self-definition? And so he saw it as a platform, and that motivated him even more Come on, to drive man. impact. You know, I, I want to uh, touch on two areas. You, you know, we, we actually have this debate for peak performance that, that really does apply to, to athletes, college football. I'm going to peak on Saturday uh, in the stadium uh, you know, for, for track and field. I'm going to peak on Friday for the meet. Yes, sir. But for us normal human beings, mm -hmm. we really don't have to peak with our day-to-day -day lives. We've got to maintain optimal performance. Where does that sort of shift from such a high competitive arena like athletics to, I guess you could say the high competitive arena of life? Because it is an arena because, okay, you ready? You're ready. Let's do All it. Right. Send it. Right. I can tell when you get excited. I love it. Come on, man. You understand what they taught you was that the mental game is the game. Mm. Isn't that what they taught you? That's what they trained you to understand. You have to ch change the way that you process, the way you think, the way you see yourself, the way you see your world. And so whether we're talking about peak and, and outstanding performance or optimum, optimum performance is peak performance. That's the name of the game. But the mental game, mastering the mental game means teaching people Self-mastery is teaching people how to commit themselves to growing through things instead of just going through things. We understand that if we're talking about business, we're talking about you know, corporate, if we're talking about on the field, if we're talking about in the arena, if we're talking about anywhere where you have to push yourself, get more out of yourself, great coaches Great coaches get more out of an individual than they thought they had in themselves. I don't care how good you are, there's more in you. How the hell do you become a Navy SEAL? I got to convince you fatigue means nothing. <laughs> but I, fatigue makes cowards of, 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 of us all. You don't have time for that. <laughs> and that way, correct me if I'm wrong. No. Bruh. 
The mental game is the game. And if you want to go to the next level in your business, you've got to begin to invest in yourself to believe in yourself, trust yourself, build yourself from the ground up sometimes, sometimes in the middle of madness, sometimes while you're, you're having a horrible job as a parent and as, as a spouse and you're still trying to run this company, but now eh, who are you? What kind of person do you want to be? I don't care how rich you are. If you don't love yourself, your ability to love is suspect. Drop the mic on your ass. <laughs> a lot of people are rich in the bank and poor. Come on, in man. Character. We've seen people who we love, who we know, who have, or by our own standards are extremely successful, mm. take their lives. Take their own lives. And we, on paper, everything's going well. You know, one, I've never had money in the military you ain't getting rich especially with two kids and a wife a wife that doesn't work but i was professionally on top of the world where i wanted to be it was the pinnacle we made it to jsoc and on my last deployment and i wrote about it in the book and i think these were the the exact words i i stated so my 10th combat deployment i basically put the sword in the sand and i was in the best physical shape of my life, bar none, pictures show it, but I was mentally and spiritually bereft <clears throat> to the core, to the core. And what transpired following that was two years of just self debauchery and self, a little bit of self mutilation to be quite uh, uh, honest until it was a, a great and respected mentor pulled me aside here in Austin. He had retired from the SEAL teams. He said, hey man, what are you doing? I said, what are you talking about? He's like, I heard you're getting in fights. He's like, you're a lieutenant commander. You're 39 years old. You're one year away from retirement. What the hell are you doing? I'm like, hey, he's like, you need to, you need to speak to somebody. And that's when they connected me with a great guy named Dr. Chris Free, clinical psychologist who's helped more of my brethren mm. than, uh, than I can count on fingers. When guys reach out to me struggling, I go right to Chris. Yes. Chris. You know, with good in his heart, based out of Hawaii, we'll spend hours on the phone with these guys every single week. I don't know where he finds the time, but um, that that help in having the the moral courage to to raise your hand and say, "Hey, yeah, something's <clears throat> not right. I need help." It's something I think a lot of men and women uh, struggle with. But you know, Greg, one you know, usually I write seven hundred and fifty words on each guest. The, there's no way I can fit all of this into that. So this is going to be a much longer uh, editorial, but it seems one, there's, there's not many people of your caliber in this space. It's not a huge space, but it seems like everything you're discussing should be taught, not only in our grammar schools, high schools, but in college is the, the mental component of human performance is, are you doing this in Michigan Outside of the athletic department, are you going into different departments, engineering and business? And Mike, I'm in Austin, Texas, on the holiday weekend. <laughs> with flight travel was insane because this book that that you're going to help me promote 
tells the stories that we're talking about. It talks to people about what does it really mean to try to stay sane in the insane world, how to learn to control the controllables. What we're talking about is every lesson that I've learned, every lesson that I teach, I'm trying to capture because, again, I'm in the fourth quarter, the third period, whatever you want to call it, and my I have to leave something because immortality is not an, op- not an option. So the greatest, mo- for you in this audience, I can tell you the truth. The greatest motivator in my life is death. Ain't none of us getting out of this shit alive. (laughs) So you better live, bruh. You better live to the fullest that you possibly can. Because in a matter of moments, the death stalker is going to be on your ass. So what am I going to do to to be remembered? If they say your name after you gone, bruh, that's the best you can do. If you can pull that off. You've done something. Well, that that's a two-sided coin. Because there's those that are still mentioned that that engaged in extreme evil. Yeah, but uh, yeah. But but what are you remembered for? Come on, what are you Impact. remembered for? Yes. Impact is your word. So you, you know that's that's interesting because I mean you've listened. One of the questions I ask is, are you concerned about your legacy? And some people are like, No, I'm not concerned about my legacy. And, and to me, I'm just like, how can you not how be? How can you not be? And, and I think some people try to give like the very politically, we, we, we start to say things these days that are, oh, well, this will, it's, it's almost like the, the party line. Here's the party line that I'll, I'll, I'll say, but I, I've heard, like, I'm trying to remember what mentor told me this, because I had a lot of reservations about coming out mm-hmm. and talking about what I did. And, and, and I do keep the secret, no foreign stuff yeah. and names out of it, but he said the greatest thing you can do in life, in fact, it's mandatory, it's not optional, is bestow what knowledge you have on the next generation. If not, you're actually doing them a disservice and you're not doing your job. I'm doing all I can because people have been hounding me for decades. You know, you this uh, we're, we're doing great, but you other people need to hear your message. And I really appreciate what you said earlier about it needs to be taught and introduced to a wide range, to an audience. And Shane Salerno, who you may know that name, is my business partner who instigated and pushed me to write this book. Steve Hamilton is one of the greatest authors of all time, who is my mentor and tutor and coach. And I was coachable in terms of how to write this bloody book. And these guys have stacked the deck in my favor to go out and make the world know what I'm talking about. This ain't about me. It ain't really about me. It's about the joy of being that guy who somehow miraculously, I mean, the coaches I've worked with, the businesses I've worked, the people I've worked, who gets to work with all the names that I name? It's sick. I didn't know this was happening. All I knew is I was doing my job. And my job was to convince people they could be more. My job, everything is sales and marketing. I'm selling people themselves. And people say that's what they want, and they'll fight you tooth and nail. <laughs> I stayed, I kept the job. Because <laughs> people say, I need your help, and then fight me. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a never-ending battle. But people need to know 
that their limitations tend to be self-imposed. Too many of their limitations are self-imposed. And all I'm trying to do is get people to consider looking at it, the world a little differently and not being stuck in how they've been programmed, brainwashed. And, I mean, because, bruh, I, I, look, I tell this story. You know, I'm pretty old. And I grew up in a very turbulent time in American history. And it may be turbulent now, but bruh, the hate that hate made, <laughs> that wasn't cool. I tried to hate white folks. It's too damn many of them. <laughs> 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 I said, I'm, out. I'm getting headaches. And my, stomach, my stomach hurt. My back hurt. I'm, I'm evil. I don't like this. <laughs> I tried, but I couldn't pull it off because I knew in the back of my mind I was a citizen of the universe, that my calling was deeper than black and white fantasy bullshit. <laughs> you know, bruh. The world, I'm, I'm just trying to hit it before I quit it, <laughs> right? Because mm. I'm doing my best, the best I can, and I appreciate you thinking that is worthy of being heard by more people. And I, I tell you, man, I, 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 I was pretty excited about coming to meet you. But Greg, the credibility is there. Credibility matters. Somebody picks up the microphone. I do want to know what they've done, and if they actually have. Similar, you know, what if, you know, the data. Because if, if you're going to preach on something, but you have no uh, W's on the board, you only have L's. Yes, there's experience. There's stuff to, to gain from that. Lessons learned. But until you've produced, it, what you told to Desmond, you got to produce first. You got to show. Because all it's like one of the, the greatest signs we had in our building was doing. Mm -hmm. Greater sign, talking. And everyone seems, it seems like, you know, again, you look at my, my perspective is the 80s, 90s. You know, compared to then, to, to then now, it seems like everyone has a microphone. Talk less, do more was, was my, was my uh, one of my models. Talk less, do more. I do, I do want to, before we get into just a series of questions that we end with, you know, you were very, I, I know with these subtitles, it's, it's, you, how to control the controllables and thrive. You didn't say uncontrollables. And and I think, in, in, you know, Will and I have these conversations, like we start discussing and getting ramped up over something that we can't control and we get, we get more angry. And how do you tell the difference between the two? God and grant me the serenity. To know what, yeah. Oh, hold on. To, to, to know what I can control, the things I can't, or, and to know the difference between the two. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the, the difference. difference between the two. That's really what how to control the controllables boils down to. Think about it. But we are a world right now Come on. obsessed with the uncontrollables. Yes, sir. And so at some point, all we want people to do is invest in Self-mastery, self-discipline, self-control, and self-motivation. You know, you want to change something, first change your damn self. <laughs> you know? And then, I mean, The Man in the Mirror is one of the greatest songs of all time. <laughs> you just, 
you did something again. What I wrote about in the Everyday Warriors, I didn't call it discipline. I didn't call it accountability. I said self discipline, self accountability, much like we call it self. Because this will be placed in the self help category, yes, which I, I don't mind that title. I say it's self leadership. Yes, sir. What? Why? Why do you think we? And maybe this is humanity. We were always captivated by our time. Back in the eighteen hundreds, they may have worried about the uh, the same thing. But, how, how do you tell the difference between the controllables and controllables? And how do you like how do you teach people like, hey, you've got to let that go. There's nothing you can do about it. Focus on the things that you can change and move forward. It's uh, again, it goes back to what you were talking about before. Being able to see who you are and mm. what's working and what's not working. You've got to be able to be so sophisticated and so critically conscious of your world that you can see clearly and distinctly who you are, what you're all about, and what you want. And so by understanding those things, I can see what I can impact and what I can't. you got to understand that I can't control what's happening. I can control my response. Mm. <laughs> I don't just want to react. I want to respond. respond. It's a totally different concept. Yes. So... How I respond to adversity. How Look, I got to teach people not just to how they respond to failure. How do you respond to success? With the population I'm working with, I mean, mm. I mean, I mean bruh, it's getting ready to come. You're getting ready to blow up. Are you prepared for that? Tom Brady calls me, I think it's second Super Bowl. It may not be the third. Second Super Bowl. Hey, for, first, I mean, how do you have him saved in your phone? Like total head case, Tom Brady? No. <laughs> no, because he, I mean, everybody I worked with weren't, wasn't looking for mental health issues. Mm. They were trying to be the best possible version of themselves they could create. So I got a call from Tom. You know, this is like back in the day. Before you're married, you're constantly connecting to people. He calls me and says, ah. Ah, uh, you know, you know me, Greg, better than a whole lot of people. I said, yeah. He said, and I'm, I'm just bugging out because, I mean, I'm losing my mind. I said, well, what's going on? He said, I can't go out the house. I can't go to the store. I can't go buy potato chips and pop. You know, I wanted to be the absolute. You know, my dream was to be the best possible, the best quarterback ever. But being a starter, you know, that's not what I was into. I said, I understand. And so, you know, he was miserable, negative, and depressed. And I said, but Tom, you called me. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> say, so are you calling me because you really want my opinion? Yes, I am. I said, Tom, you know, don't tell anybody. I say, talk like this, okay? I said, yeah, I say. So, you are two-time Super Bowl champion. You're the quarterback for the New England Patriots. You're the prettiest white man in America with a, <laughs> with a bloody dimple in your goddamn chin. <laughs> and you calling me because you can't go out your house. I'm your chum. I love you, boy. But you're focusing on the wrong thing. Tom, this shit will only last for two, three years. <laughs> mm. 
we crack up about that every day. No, yeah, how wrong you were. <laughs> so, like, you know, right now they love you, but you're not looking at what I tried to teach you years ago was power. How do you how to get it? How to keep it? How to use it? Son, you could pick up the phone and change somebody's life right now. If you say Tom Brady's on the phone, hi Tom, this is you know CEO Lottie. I said Tom. You can change lives. And you're sitting up frustrated because you a star? Uh, it, I, I feel your pain. Can't relate. <laughs> but I feel your pain. But son, get over it. Because right now, you that guy. But it's not just you a star. You have the ability to make things happen. And that's a rare moment. You better milk it while you got it. And lastly, if you want chips and pop, download the freaking Uber app. <laughs> it, Uber Eats, it did exist. I'm joking. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> We're not going to date ourselves. No, no, no. Um, yeah, man. He is the GOAT, without a doubt. I, you know what? I, I, given he's, he's suffered some hardship, all I wish for him is hasp- happiness outside of the, uh, the sport. I mean, after, time with his kids. after 28 to 3. <laughs> I'm like, hey, look, 28 to 3. It's the Super Bowl. The two best teams in America. Now, you know it's over. I'm watching it because that's my guy. That was my, one of my favorite people in life. I've gotten, and you can't bet against them, but this shit's over. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone can pull it off, it's him, but. <laughs> it, it's, it, do you remember the commercial with Joe Namath? It was, he, was, he was much older, sitting in an armchair quarterback, or, or uh, a leather chair, and he's got his agent, and they're like, we may have a deal. He's old. He's like, right. okay, I'm in. You never know. Tom may come back. I wouldn't put him out. I wouldn't put him out. Okay. Well, Greg, you know uh, we end the show with this series of questions, Just which the questions are my curiosity in what drives people, and hopefully I'll learn a little bit. But first one is, you know, you've got a short amount of time with a, a, a group of Michigan students. They're 2021, 20, and you've got three points to bestow on them. Three. Not two. Not mm-hmm. four, three. Hey, here are the three things I've done with my life or observed high-performing people and how they've achieved success and happiness, which are two different things. So, you know, the first thing I'm going to say is practice, training, rehearse, mm-hmm. given 100%, 100% of the time. I'm going to convince them that it's a mindset. You understand the concept of mindset and mindfulness. And if I'm telling you that you must practice, train, and rehearse, given 100%, 100% of the time, it needs to become your default mode. Because it's totally unrealistic to give 100%, 100% of the time. But if it's my fail-safe if it's my default mode, look, if I train myself, if I can give 100% of the shit I don't even like, what do I do when I get to the stuff I love? It becomes a habit. It's a habit. And see, the way I, what I learned, Mike, Will, even if it's impossible, if I've trained myself to try to give 100%, 100% of the time, my worst day is going to be better than the average man's best day. I'm going to 
busted ass. <laughs> <laughs> I got a shot. The other thing I would teach people is like, don't listen to people telling you not to be afraid. I'm asking you to stop being afraid of being afraid. Mm. Come on. That's a game changer. I, you can anticipate fear. <laughs> you can, you know it's going to be there. All you got to do is embrace fear. Tell them, hello. I, glad you made it. I ain't got time for you. <laughs> I got to go. And face your fear. That's all. If I had to come up with three, I guess it would be your best friend in life should be you. That one is uh, <laughs> that one is so true that so many people miss. It's a, you know the best example I give is that person that jumps from relationship to relationship because they can't be alone. Yes, sir. I, I, I I describe it as you got to you got to learn to be comfortable alone by uh, yourself before you can actually truly engage and love someone else. Yes, sir. You got to be. Again, self-love and self-acceptance is the secret that ain't no secret. I've got a lot of work to do uh, following this uh, this discussion. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, in the last question, we, we hit on it, but this one is uh, is probably where I learned the most, is our legacy. I know you say you're in the fourth quarter. Remember, he's totally... Miss the fact that there are overtimes. I don't know where your overtime, where, where, like what what the number is. Um, you, I'll give you an example. We've got a, a doctor. I call her Doctor Gladys. She's coming on. She's 102. I can't wait for this conversation. I think the number one question I'm excited to ask is where does sex fall into uh, longevity? Because uh, I they always give the best answers. Um, what do you want your legacy to be? 30, 40 years from now, what do you want your legacy to be? Um. That I was a change agent, that I was a guy that uh, committed to helping people understand a simple formula. And that formula is God has done an amazing job creating creatures. The only creature that God has made that can decide to be different than they were yesterday is a human being. Human beings are the only creatures that can decide not to be who they were yesterday. That's deep. And if I can teach that, if I can push that agenda, if I can help people understand that you don't have to be, a dog going to be a dog every day, a cat going to be a cat, a cow going to be a cow, a bull going to be a bull, a man, woman, a person can transform themselves from who they were yesterday. That's major. And if you embrace that, there are no limits. That is something uh, that's probably going to be one of the uh, the best I've heard. That's, I, I, you know, one, I, I love the word change agent. It's, if not, what's the point? If, if I came in, kept things the same, mm. accumulated wealth just for, for the sake of accumulating wealth, which is self-driven, which I'm not, I'm not saying making money is bad. It's no. Not, 
But if you left no change in the world, then I don't care if you live 90 years. What, what the hell was it worth? Bruh, I just want to, I just want people to say he changed my life. Can you, I mean, I hear that. I mean, I'm so lucky to have heard it before I'm in the, in, 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 in the box. You understand? I, I don't want to be in the box and people talking about how cool I was. I want to be alive and people say, boy, this is the guy who pushed me to be more than I was. I mean, come on, man. That's a, that's a life worth living. All I prayed for is like, give me purpose. Just give me purpose and a sense of, uh, of meaning. I want my life to have purpose and meaning. That's all I prayed for, man. And God has been so gracious, so kind, and so generous with my dumb ass. <laughs> that is, it's, it's, I mean. Generous or patient? <laughs> all of the above. But I mean, again, thank God I don't look like what I've been through. Uh, I mean, it's, it's only three. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only three people here. There are stories in this room that will make you cry. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? You're not wrong. <laughs> Bruh. Not wrong. And so to be, I mean, who gets to be a Navy SEAL and then be a change agent? <laughs> Influencing the world and who has a podcast that has Lottie Dottie. You understand? And, and who's met hundreds of amazing human beings who want to talk to him. Bruh, ah, my man. <laughs> well, if you're wondering if uh, you, you've changed lives, what I've learned from Greg is still a part of who I am today, Tom Brady. I, I don't think there's any higher accolade uh, than, uh, than having the GOAT uh, say that about you. My challenge to you is I don't give a shit about age. I really don't. Other than, man, I wish I could lift like 300 pounds again. Uh, that I miss. Um, but be more, do more. Because there's there's so much work that needs to be done out there, and, and you've got the potential. And I, you know, the thing I love about this is hopefully it gives you a bigger microphone or a microphone that leaves uh, a platform that that reaches out further. And we are going to promote the hell out of this thing. Oh, and I would thanks. love anything you write, you want to push through Men's Journal, you send it our way. Yeah. Like you 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 let us know. I'm I'm so fascinated by this space because I've struggled at it so much and I still struggle on the mental component. I preach it for a living, which there is a hypocrisy. I preach yet I struggle. But I'm a helper. I don't want to ask for help. I have to I have to re, I have to constantly program myself to say, ah, could I get some do you know how hard it is for me to shift into asking people to, you know, pre order? Yeah. On Amazon. <laughs> Which it's up on Amazon. It's on up on Amazon. But the release date is August fifteenth. Is is be released August fifteenth. But the pre order thing is like, you know, is he trending? I mean, if I want uh, Barnes and is... Noble and Apple and everybody else to say this guy has potential. This uh, that's this is the lame part of this, and you get you get obsessed. You're like, hey, what are my numbers? What are my numbers? And of course, pre sales for 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 the listeners, it does impact. If you're picked up as a New York Times bestseller or Wall Street Journal or a USA Today bestseller, which 
gives you more. It's it's not for the purpose of being that. It's that you know that will extend more reach and put the book cool. in more hands and Man. helps more people. That's all it is. Yeah. So I appreciate you so much for inviting me. How did you find out about me? Uh, so I've, I've, I think we've, we've, I've read about you before. Right. Especially with, with Michael Phelps and Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And then I think we knew one of the publishers knew you. And Blackstone, we said, oh, send them our way. Blackstone Publishing. Yeah. They're the bomb. Blackstone is the hookup. Shane Salerno is that guy. I mean, so, so Michelle and Will, and you know what we've done is we we've reached out to the big publishers mm-hmm. and say, hey, if you've got good books coming out on the arena of leadership, yes, mental or spiritual fitness, like send them our way, and it's been working. Well, I have been challenged and charged with taking pictures with y'all. Oh, well, yeah, and we go, and we go, we do it like this. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited, and uh, this has been. Uh, a, a worthwhile tri- a trip. Uh, and my wife was absolutely upset that I was going to come down here this week. And when I told her what I was going to be because doing. Because of vacation? We're we supposed to be on vacation right now. Where? In Toronto at the Jazz Festival, Toronto Jazz Festival. You One messed up, man. Biggest of all time. You messed time. up. But I, There's the, hey, I can't help you. I can't look, cure stupid. I married well, though, bro. <laughs> I married well. And she says, go do it. Go and do it. Knock it out. I'm going to fly from here straight to Toronto. No way. Okay. Good. Is she? Is she's meeting you there? She's there right now. Okay. But, yeah, bro, I'm so glad to get a chance to meet you because I'm telling you, I'm totally impressed with what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it. And uh, uh, your success is going to be stellar. I I appreciate that. uh, All jokes aside, is there another book in the works? Oh, you got to work nonstop. So is a whole person peak performance or was that a running joke? I mean, uh, it could very easily be titled Total Person Peak Performance, TP3. TP3. (laughs) (laughs) Bruh, Blackstone, I'm coming. uh, I got, got mo, baby. (laughs) <laughs> wait, wait, was the overall process? Did you enjoy? I mean, did you did you learn from writing this book? Um, whew, editing, cutting. I had so many stories and so many people to talk about. I had to start cutting and trying to figure out what to go with on this run. And it was a long, long process. Years. But you know how hard we are on ourselves. Oh, yes. By it's the, not ready. By it's the not third ready. reading, I actually like it. I like this. It took me a while to figure it out because I'm critiquing, critiquing, critiquing. I should have, I should have, I could have. And then finally, I read it not as me. I read it as someone who was curious about what does this guy have to say? And I actually enjoyed the flow, the rhythm, Good. the book. Y'all see my personality. Mm. That's what the book is like. A, a, a author once said to me, he's like, you'll know your book is ready when you start to hate your own book. Come on. I, I'm like, okay. Well, dude, Greg, uh, get to Toronto. Go uh, jam out. Um <laughs> And thank you for coming. This this is this is not goodbye. I would I would love to to have you on for more. We do Friday sessions, uh, and quite frankly, because I, I know more Americans, more human beings need to hear from you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, sir. Podcast. And we'll see you again.